Well, this morning we're going to continue on in our journey through the book of Daniel. Uh, I have been so blessed in this series in Daniel. I uh, just just studying this each week, teaching this each week. Uh, not only myself, but hearing from Pastor Stephen when he shared, and Pastor Rick last week when he shared. Uh, I, I didn't even realize how significant this book would be when I put this on our preaching agenda this past year. But uh, as we've all seen, so timely, so relevant to the things we're dealing with today. And uh, I just am grateful to the Lord for how he has given us his word to lead us, to encourage us, to inspire us. We're going to see that again here this morning as we continue on into Daniel chapter 8. A couple of weeks ago, my family and I had a fun opportunity to travel down to Georgia. My in-laws, uh, by the way, hi, Joe, Bonnie, love you guys. They, they watch every Sunday. Um, my in-laws moved down to northern Georgia about three years ago, and uh, they, they moved down there to retire. They wanted to get out of the cold and snow uh, south of Milwaukee where they used to live. And uh, so we've had the opportunity to go down and visit them a couple times, and they live in a really incredible area up in northern Georgia right at the, the foot of the Appalachian Mountains, uh, and it's actually where the Appalachian Trail begins. You can see there in that lower left-hand picture, that arch there, that's actually the beginning of the Appalachian Trail, and 2,190 miles north of there, the Appalachian Trail culminates in, uh, up, up in northern Maine. So we're on the southern end of the Appalachian Trail right there, and uh, over the course of our spring, spring break week, we had the opportunity to do a bunch of hiking and a lot of day hikes where we walked different segments of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, the picture up on the top left, that's me standing on a peak called Preacher's Rock, I, I saw that in our uh, hiker's guidebook. I saw Preacher's Rock. I mean, I got to go to Preacher's Rock. So we did that hike. That was a fun one, about a three-mile hike up to a, a peak that was about 3,600 feet up. Uh, and you can see just beautiful vistas there in the distance of the Appalachian Trail all around us. One of the neat tools that my wife and I have discovered in recent years is a, an app for your smartphone called All Trails. And uh, we've been big fans of hiking. Every time we go on a vacation somewhere, we like to go hike and explore. And the All Trails app is an awesome resource because not only does it list for you all of the neat hiking spots wherever you're traveling, but when you pick a specific hike that you want to do, the All Trails app will actually give you, the, it'll plot out the course, it'll, it'll chart the whole route of your hike, it will give you key waypoints that you want to make sure to, to stop and notice. It will even like sometimes show you pictures of certain highlights on the hike. And, and it's just an awesome resource because it really helps you to both choose your route, but also understand where you're going as you're hiking. The, the GPS on your phone will actually follow you along the trail. So you'll know step by step exactly where you are as you go forward on your hike. It's a really, really cool resource. Well, I was thinking about our hiking experiences and, and using this All Trails app this week as I was studying Daniel's prophecy here in chapter 8. Because the reality is, just like this All Trails app will map out your hike and, and show you the key highlights that you want to make sure not to miss, and, and it'll chart your course for you and show you the beginning point and show you the ending point, that is what God has done for us in his prophetic word. When, when we study scripture, and specifically when we study Bible prophecy, 
what we have here is God giving to us a vision of his plans for the future. And just like this All Trails app, God has marked out the whole course for us. And he has given us specific markers that he says, look, you don't want to miss this. This is coming up. Pay attention and watch for these markers. And so as we go through history, as we go through our lives, we can look around and we can look to God's prophetic word and we can start to see that, yes, God has given us highlights to watch for, indicators to look for, to help us recognize that we are on the path. We are on his predetermined course for history. And that's the power of God's prophetic word. God has given us his guidance for history here in Scripture. Now, if you were with us last week, you saw Pastor Rick's message, or you heard Pastor Rick's message on Daniel chapter 7. Awesome, awesome message in Daniel chapter 7. And uh, if you missed it, go back online and listen to it, because Daniel 7, and Pastor Rick highlighted this, what Daniel 7 does is it really lays out God's historical plan for the ages. From the time of Daniel, the, the series that we've been studying to the very end of time when Jesus Christ returns and he sets up his millennial kingdom and he defeats sin and Satan once and for all. I mean, it, it was a great prophetic sweep that we saw. And, and last week, if you are with us, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel highlighted this vision of four beasts that he had seen that God had given him this vision of four beasts. And these four beasts, as Pastor Rick shared with us last week, represented the, the first beast was this lion with wings, which, which represented the Babylonian Empire. That was the empire that Daniel was living in when he received this vision. And, and then after that, he saw a vision of this bear, this, this massive bear with one shoulder that was higher than the other. And, and that bear represented the Medo-Persian Empire that would come and conquer the Babylonians. And then in his vision, he saw this leopard, this, this really interesting leopard, a four-headed leopard with wings. And as Pastor Rick shared, that, that leopard represented the Greek empire that, that rapidly conquered the whole world. And then, fourthly, Daniel saw this terrifying vision of this creature with iron claws and teeth. And, and this creature came out, and it had ten horns. And as Pastor Rick shared last week, this creature, this fourth creature, represented the Roman Empire that was going to come hundreds of years later following Daniel's vision. But this creature had ten horns, and the ten horns, as we're going to see again today and in the coming weeks in our series, the ten horns represent a revived Roman Empire that's going to come into this world in the latter days, in the end times. And it's from that revived Roman Empire that one of these horns is going to arise prominently. That horn will be the Antichrist. We're going to talk a little bit about the Antichrist again this morning, but a lot more in the coming weeks as we continue our prophecy study in the book of Daniel. So again, Daniel is really just this awesome vision of God's plan for the ages. Now, this is what we looked at last week. Now, today what we're going to see in Daniel chapter 8 is Daniel is actually going to zoom in on this particular prophecy. God's given us the big picture. Now he's going to zoom in and he's going to focus specifically on a 400-year period and, and, and Primarily two of these empires that he mentions in his vision in Daniel chapter 7. 
Now, as we begin our study of chapter 8 this morning, it's important that we understand some background information so that this all makes sense for us. First thing I want to highlight for us is that chapter 7 through 12 of Daniel is no longer chronological in terms of the timeline of Daniel's life and ministry. So, so if you see here this timeline I put together for you, Daniel 6, where Daniel goes to the lion's den, remember we talked about Daniel was probably in his 80s, his mid-80s, when he went to the lion's den. That's the last chronological event that we know of in Daniel's life. And, and so chapter 7, chapter 8, those prophecies that we studied last week and today, those prophecies happened right around 553 to 551 B.C., we, we know that through our study of the other incidents taking place in the book of Daniel. So what we're going to look at today took place, this vision that he received. As you can see, it took place when Belshazzar was king, the king who followed Nebuchadnezzar, were still in the Babylonian empire. The, the, the party with the writing on the wall and the fall of, of Babylon to Cyrus and Darius, that hasn't happened yet. That's still, hap that's still 12 years in the future. All right, so we are, we're 12 years before that whole incident with the handwriting on the wall when Belshazzar uh, fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. So, so that helps give us a little context to where we find ourselves. Now, another interesting factor about Daniel chapter 8 through 12. In the original language, the, the, the language changes. All of Daniel up to this point has been written in Aramaic the language of the Gentiles, the language of the nations. From chapter 8 through chapter 12, we move to Hebrew. And, and you have to ask, well, why would God do that? Why would half the book be written in the language of the nations, the Gentiles, but the second half, chapters 8 through 12, specifically be written in Hebrew? Well, friends, it's important to understand, the first part of Daniel was written with the intention of being a message for all peoples. That God was declaring his plan for the ages to all peoples. He was declaring his intent for the people of Israel. He was giving a message of hope. He was warning kings and tyrants throughout the ages. Right? Daniel 1 through 7 was a message for all peoples. But when we come to the prophecies in Daniel chapter 8 through 12, they're written in Hebrew. And the reason for that is, is because the message we're going to see today and in the coming weeks was specifically given for God's people, the Israelites. The Israelites who at this time were in exile in Babylon. And God wanted them to have a specific word of encouragement. A word of hope. A reminder that he was sovereign and in control. And that they did not need to lose heart in the midst of their exile. That God had a plan. That God was going to bring about deliverance. Not only in the immediate future for them in their exile. But in the ultimate future for God's people. He would deliver all of God's people in the end times. So this is a really incredible prophecy that we're going to be studying today. Uh, Daniel, when he wrote this prophecy, when he received it from the Lord, again, about 12 years before the handwriting on the wall story, Daniel's probably about 68 years old at this time, okay? He's probably still in service, working for the kings in Babylon. Uh, he, he's an older man, but not at the end of his life yet. And so he's going to receive this vision. He's going to look out into the future through God's revelation. And again, he's going to see things that haven't yet come to pass. And we're going to see Daniel's response to this here this morning. I want to read for us Daniel chapter 8, verses 1 through 27. And then I want to come back and highlight for us 
what we discover here in this incredible passage. Now remember, again, we're zooming in from what Pastor Rick talked about last week. We're zooming in to look specifically at a couple of the empires that we saw in our, in our uh, message last Sunday. Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. So this is a second vision now. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, I was in, at the Ulai Canal. Now here's an interesting point about this first introduction. Daniel describes where he was. In other words, God transported him, probably spiritually, to a different location, to an area about 200 miles away from Babylon, to an area that in the past had been a prominent empire, the, the Elamite empire. But when Daniel received this vision, this area was basically non-existent. There was nothing there. It was basically kind of a, a run-down, abandoned town because that empire had fallen and now Babylon reigned. And, and so Daniel is getting this vision of this place that basically meant nothing at the time. But we're going to see that place would come to mean something. And so Daniel goes on and he describes how, verse 3, I raised my eyes and saw and behold a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. And there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal. And he ran at him with his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts, some of the stars threw down, were thrown down to the ground, and he trampled on them. It became great even as great as the prince of hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And, I, it, and it will throw truth to the ground. And it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Lulai, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. 
But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal it up, for, the, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Wow. What an awesome passage. It's going to get even more awesome as we break it down and understand what God has revealed here to Daniel. Daniel begins in this vision and he sees this, this new vision, this vision of a, of a ram and a goat. And as we talked about, Daniel is going to zoom in, and the majority of this vision centers around these two powers that would succeed the Babylonian Empire. Now remember, Daniel's looking out at events that are going to happen 12 years in the future. The the Medo-Persian Empire, represented by the ram with two horns, and one horn was higher. The higher horn represents the Persian Empire, which would ultimately take over. The Medo-Persian partnership would ultimately become the Persian Empire, modern-day Iran. And, And this ram would take over and conquer Babylon. We saw that 12 years later, Belshazzar's feast, the handwriting on a wall. That night, Babylon fell to Darius and Cyrus, the the ram. And then Daniel sees in his vision again another power, a a goat with this conspicuous horn. We're going to talk about all of these things, but it's this incredible vision of the future and, and these world powers to come. And it's not just these two world powers. In Daniel's vision, there's really four world powers that he sees. What are these four world powers that Daniel sees in his vision? Well, before we begin to break this down, friends, we need to understand an important dynamic related to Bible prophecy. It's a principle called the mountain peaks of prophecy. This is important for us to understand, not just for this passage, but almost all Old Testament prophetic passages. The, the mountain peaks of prophecy. Let, let me explain what this means. When I was younger, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to work out in California. 
Uh, I worked at a Christian camp that was right outside of Yosemite National Park, and we spent a lot of times hi- t- time hiking in the backcountry of Yosemite. And uh, this is a, this is a, one of the famous vistas that you can see if you go to Yosemite. This is from Glacier Point in Yosemite National Park, and from Glacier Point you can look out and see the whole Yosemite Valley. It's really incredible that that big that big rock monument that you see right in front of you. That's Half Dome, right? And then behind Half Dome you have a whole series of other prominent peaks out in the distance. Now, here's the thing. When you're standing on Glacier Point, your perspective gets, gets warped. I mean, you see this whole vista in one big image, but it's hard for you to gauge depth, and it's hard for you to gauge distance when you're just looking at this in one big vantage point. And what you can't tell from just looking at the vista alone is that from where you're standing at this picture on Glacier Point, it's nine miles over to Half Dome. And then you look beyond Half Dome and you see all these peaks behind there and you're like, well, wait a minute, how far are those peaks, right? Well, Cloud's Rest is another 17 miles beyond Half Dome. And then you look out in the far distance and you see another peak way out in the distance. Well, how far is that away? You can't tell from just standing there. But again, out in the distance, Tanaya Peak, that's 30 miles away. And again, the perspective gets distorted because we just see this as all one continuous picture, but we don't have the ability without actually hiking the valleys and hiking the peaks to judge actually how far those distances are. And that is exactly the way Bible prophecy works, all right? So in Daniel chapter 8, for example, Daniel is looking from his vantage point in 551 B.C. God gives him this vision looking out into the future. And as Daniel looks out into the future, he sees, first of all, this ram. And the ram represented the Medo persian Empire, which would reign from 539 to 331. And this Metal Persian Empire would, would be a fearsome empire that would conquer the whole known world at that time. But Daniel looks out in his vision and he sees another peak off in the distance. And it's the goat. And the goat was, was the Greek Empire. And, and the Greek Empire, specifically this conspicuous horn, this one horn on the goat, was Alexander the Great who conquered the whole known world in three years. An incredible military leader. And then Daniel looks out again into the distance, and and out of that goat, that goat's horn is shattered into four pieces. And out of those four pieces, a little horn arises. And that little horn, again, we know from history, that little horn would come to be a figure known as Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes. But Daniel looks out again, and he sees in our passage another leader out in the distance that he describes. And again, we're going to talk more about this. But he sees another leader out in the distance. And again, he can't tell how far away that is. He can't judge. He just sees us all in one vision. But that last leader that we see in our, in our passage this morning is the Antichrist, the final wicked world leader who is to come, who's described in Scripture. And so again, we need to understand when Daniel receives this prophecy, he doesn't know these times, right? He only knows, I'm living in 551 B.C., Right? And he's under the reign of King Belshazzar at this time. But he's seeing events that are going to transpire in the future because God is revealing these things to him. Let, let's take a look at these four powers to come. What, what are these four powers that Daniel sees in his vision? Well, the first power that Daniel sees in his vision is what I call a welcome power. A welcome power. 
In verses 1 through 4, Daniel, looking 12 years out into the future, sees this vision of the ram with two horns. And again, this ram with two horns represents the metal Persian Empire and ultimately Cyrus the Great, who would rise to prominence over the Persian Empire. And this was a welcome power. Now, now you might be thinking, well, how in the world was this a welcome power? I mean, the description, right? No beast could stand before him. There was no one who could rescue from his power. I mean, how is that a welcome power? Well, the ram was a welcome power. Let me share with you some incredible Bible prophecy. The prophet Jeremiah, 46 years before Daniel chapter 8, the prophet Jeremiah sent a message to the people in Israel, of Israel who were in exile in Babylon. And the prophet Jeremiah said this in chapter 29, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So, so God told his people, Daniel and the other exiles, it was going to be 70 years that they were going to be in exile. But God said, I'm going to bring you back. Now remember, this prophecy was given 46 years even before the prophecy that we read in Daniel chapter 8 this morning. God promised his people he was going to rescue them. Well, how is that rescue going to take place? Well, the prophet Isaiah tells us. And the prophet Isaiah, writing 150 years even earlier than this, think about that, friends, 150 years before these events in Daniel chapter 8, the prophet Isaiah says this, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. Now, wait a minute. Jerusalem was inhabited. She hadn't gone into exile, right? This is 150 years before any of this even happened. Jerusalem shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up their ruins. Wait a minute, what ruins? Judah hasn't been conquered yet. He's prophesying things 150 years in advance. And then he says, I will say to the deep, be dry. I will dry up your rivers. Who says of who? Cyrus. Who's Cyrus? Cyrus isn't even around yet. It's 150 years before. But God says, I'm going to raise up your runes. I'm going to restore Judah. Cyrus is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Who again? Cyrus. Now again, God prophesied all of this 150 years earlier. 
Even before Judah had fallen, even before Daniel and the Israelites had been taken into exile. So God says through Jeremiah, I'm going to deliver you in 70 years from your exile. Isaiah, 150 years earlier, says it's Cyrus who's going to be the one who delivers you. And then guess what we discover in history? The Medo Persian Empire comes along. And Cyrus the Great conquers King Belshazzar 12 years after the vision of Daniel chapter 8. And we read in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 1 tells us what took place. Do we have that next slide, please, Charlie? In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing, thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, People, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Friend, is that awesome or what? God had prophesied these events 150 years in advance through Jeremiah, through Isaiah, and they came to pass in history because God is sovereign. And so God uses this first welcome power, this ram with two horns, the metal Persian Empire, to bring about the deliverance of his people. But then we look forward in Daniel chapter 8, and we see the second world power in verses 5 through 8. This is, this is what I call a worldly power. Daniel, now again, looking out into the distance, the mountain peaks of prophecy, this second power is 220 years out into the future. The Medo Persian Empire would reign for over 200 years. But next, Daniel looks out into the future and he sees this male goat with a conspicuous horn. What, what was this all about? Well, friends, the male goat, again, as we mentioned earlier, represented the Greek Empire. And the conspicuous horn was Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military leaders in all of history. Alexander the Great would come to power in 336 B.C. when he was only 20 years old. Then in just three short years, from 334 to 331 B.C., Alexander the Great would conquer the whole known world, spreading Greek culture, spreading Hellenization and the Greek language. He conquered everything there was to conquer. There's a really fascinating story. Josephus, the first century Roman historian who, who lived during the time of Jesus, Josephus tells the story in his histor historical record called the Antiquities. He tells the story when Alexander the Great was conquering the whole known world. He came up to Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem feared because they knew that Alexander the Great had destroyed and laid waste everything that he had conquered. And the high priest of Jerusalem, according to Josephus, the high priest of Jerusalem went out outside the city of Jerusalem and met Alexander the Great. And you know what he showed Alexander the Great? He showed Alexander the Great Daniel's prophecy. And he told him, our God has ordained your reign over this world. Alexander the Great was so impressed by the prophetic word of God that he spared Jerusalem. Isn't that awesome? 
conquered the whole known world, but he spared, spared Jerusalem. Well, Alexander the Great would go on, and ultimately he died at the young age of 32 years old. He died as an alcoholic in Babylon. He conquered the whole world, and yet he had nothing. You know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about Alexander the Great this week. I thought of Jesus' words in Mark chapter 8, 36. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? A lot of lessons we can learn there from the life of Alexander the Great. You can have everything and still have absolutely nothing if you don't have a relationship with your creator God. Well, Alexander the Great would die and his empire then would be split. As we read in Daniel's prophecy, the, the horn was split into four pieces. Alexander the Great's empire was split between his four generals, Seleucus, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, and Cassander. One of these four generals would become prominent. We see this again in our prophecy. In verses 9 through 14, Daniel looks out across the mountain peaks of prophecy, and he sees a wretched power come into existence. 380 years into the future, out of this broken horn, these four parts, a little horn would arise. And this was a figure named Antiochus IV. He gave himself the name Epiphanes. And the name Epiphanes means God manifest. You think this guy thought much of himself? He declared himself to be God on earth. And Antiochus Epiphanes, who reigned from 175 to 164, would wreak havoc upon the Jewish people. See, Antiochus Epiphanes was seeking to continue the Greek enculturation of the whole world. But the Jews in Israel resisted. They, they remained faithful to Yahweh and to the Old Testament and to Yahweh's teachings. They, they would not submit to the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes. And so over the course of four years, from 168 to 164 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, as we read in Daniel's prophecy, would unleash hell upon the Jewish people. He murdered over 100,000 Jews. He sold 40,000 Jews into slavery. He plundered the temple. He defiled the temple, setting up an altar to Zeus, sacrificing pigs in the temple. He prohibited the Jews from worshiping. He pro prohibited circumcision of the male Jews on penalty of death. He prohibited the Sabbath and festival days. He destroyed every copy of the Old Testament scriptures that he could find. Antiochus Epiphanes is one of the most notorious figures in Jewish history. Have you ever wondered where the Jewish celebration of Hanukkah comes from, friends? Well, Hanukkah comes out of this wicked chapter of Antiochus Epiphanes and his ruthless reign over the Jewish people. You see, in 167 B.C., a family named the Maccabees began a revolt, the Maccabean revolt that would ultimately dispel the forces of Antiochus Epiphanes from not only Jerusalem, but from all of Israel. And the Maccabean families, led by a man named Judah Maccabee, known as the Hammer, he would push out all of Antiochus's forces. And in 164 B.C., December 14th, he would restore the temple. And the story in Maccabees, the book of Maccabees, tells how when the temple was restored, everything had been desecrated. They had to clean the temple out. 
but they only had one vial of oil to light the menorah in the temple. But God miraculously kept that oil, that supply flowing for the menorah for eight days. That's why the the Jewish people celebrate the eight candles of the menorah. It represents God's miraculous deliverance during the time of Hanukkah. Friends, this is all prophetic stuff that God had told us was going to come to pass. And we know all of these things through history. Daniel looks out into the future again, and next he sees a wicked power. Now, a lot of Bible scholars conflate the role of Antiochus Epiphanes with what we read about at the end of his prophecy in verses 23 through 26. But I think Daniel is seeing two different people. Remember, the mountain peaks sometimes blend together. And Daniel is seeing things that, yes, could be applied to what Antiochus Epiphanes did, but I believe there's a reference to another wicked figure to come, an even more wicked figure than Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, the figure that we know in Scripture as the Antichrist who is to come. And Antiochus was simply a type, a picture of this ultimate Antichrist who is going to come. And this Antichrist that we read about in Daniel chapter 7, 8, we read about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we read about him in Revelations 13, a king of bold face, as he's called here in verse 23 of Daniel chapter 8. He's talking about this world leader to come. And we're going to study the Antichrist quite a bit more in the coming weeks. The second half of Daniel chapter 9, all about the Antichrist and the tribulation. Chapters 10, 11, and 12, the Antichrist is all over in those chapters. Friends, if you want to know God's plan for the ages and what's going to happen in the future, don't miss those coming weeks because we're going to study some incredible Bible prophecy. But in verse 17 of our passage this morning, how do we know this refers to this Antichrist figure and not Antiochus Epiphanes? Because verse 17 tells us that this vision is for the time of the end. And then in verse 19 we read it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now, again, we're going to talk more about this Antichrist figure. For now, though, it's important that we recognize all of this history came true, friends. Everything God prophesied in Daniel chapter 8 came true historically. Now, if all of the rest of this came true, friends, why do we doubt that what God tells us about the future won't also happen exactly as he's told us it's going to happen? Friends, it's going to happen. This Antichrist figure is going to come into this world one day. And Antiochus Epiphanes, his evil reign is just a shadow of the fury and terror that this final Antichrist is going to bring upon the world. It's really incredible, friends. Friends, God has given us his prophetic word. Why? He's given it to us to map out for us what's going to take place in the future. He's given it to us to encourage us that he is sovereign and that he is in control? Remember, how did Daniel chapter 1 open, the whole book of Daniel? How did it begin? It talked about the destruction of Jerusalem, but what did it say? It was God who delivered Jerusalem into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And just like God was in charge of Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of Jerusalem... God was in charge of every single one of these prophetic events that Daniel saw out in the future. Twelve years later, the Medo-Persian Empire would show up. Two hundred years later after that, 
Alexander the Great would come along. 400 years later after that, Antiochus Epiphanes would come along. All of that took place. Why did God tell us about that in advance? He marked out those waypoints on our app, right? On our map, he marked out those waypoints so that we could know that he is trustworthy, that he is sovereign over history, and that no matter what comes to pass in the future, he is in control. Friends, Bible prophecy shouldn't be something that leads us to be fearful or discouraged. Bible prophecy should be something that leads us to have great hope and confidence in our sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm going to invite John and the worship team to come back up and lead us in a closing song this morning. Let's have a word of prayer while our worship team comes up to the platform. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these prophetic events that you have shown to us throughout history and prophetic events to come. Events that give us encouragement that you are sovereign, you are in control, that we can trust in you, that we can hope in you because you are victorious. And because you are sovereign and victorious over history, we can trust that you are sovereign even in our lives. And even when we go through challenges and trials, we can know that when we put our hope and trust in you, we are too victorious through you, our great and faithful God. Thank you, God, for giving us this awesome vision. And I pray that it inspires us as we go forward to live faithfully as your people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.